Please put hey. a thumb in the air. Hey. Driver sitting in for Bill Matz on Broad Street Hockey Radio. Today I am joined by one other person. It is Charlie O'Contents from The Athletic, or rather the New York Times. Charlie O'Connor. Charlie, how are you this afternoon? I'm doing wonderful. The Flyers haven't played for a few days, so I find that my mood gets substantially better the longer I go without having to watch the Philadelphia Flyers, personally. Also, me. (laughs) So uh, this is going to be a little bit of a different show today for everyone. It is just me and Charlie. Bill is sick and Kelly is at a work function. So Charlie and I are just going to talk on Broad Street Hockey Radio, the two people who are no longer with Broad Street Hockey. Um, But as we all go through this really weird transition, um, just want to spend some time talking about how much Broad Street Hockey has really meant to us and this community because Kelly started this amazing GoFundMe. You can find it on our website. You can find it on our Twitter, on our social pages. Um, You can find it on GoFundMe. Um, And we have surpassed our our, our targeted goal more than once. And that is mind-blowing to me the way that the community supports us um means more than anything that could ever happen to us from the corporate overlords um and that's why i'm still here yeah no i i think you know and one thing that i tweeted out i think it was maybe like a day after everything um was just that you know don't expect this podcast to to go anywhere um we don't know in what form it's going to survive, whether, you know, we could potentially be picked up by another network, whether we will restart a Patreon, whether we will in the short term just do it for nothing and hope that something pops up. We're not really sure. But I think the key thing for me is that, like, I do this podcast in part because it makes me a little bit of money, and that's great. But... I do this podcast primarily because it doesn't really feel like work. You know, yeah. it's it's for friends chatting about the Flyers. And the fact that we got someone to pay us for this for multiple years. When did we actually originally set up the, the pay structure with Vox so that we no longer had to do the Patreon? I forget what year that was. I don't remember. I know that I started full-time with Vox in 2018. Um, and it was around that same time, I believe. Yeah. So, well, because you originally, was there ever a period when you were not, when you were getting paid directly by the podcast? Because just for some inside baseball, Steph, once she was officially a full-time employee of Vox, she was no longer technically being paid for the podcast. She was just being paid as a full-time employee of which part of her duties included the podcast, I guess. Well, I was told when I was hired, we already know that you're good at podcasting. So like, you don't have to do that anymore if you don't want to. And my response was, I want to. What if I want to? <laughs> this is fun <laughs> for me. I want to. <laughs> um, so I, yeah, I don't remember the exact timing, but I know um, there was a period where I was just the site manager and podcast manager before I was hired full time. So I was being paid. But I just don't remember if it was from the Patreon or if it was from the podcast listens. I don't I don't remember exactly when we signed the deal with Vox. Yeah, it might have been sometime early in 2017, maybe, because I took the athletic job yeah. in August of 2017. And I remember I had to like adjust some of my contracts with Vox to make it legal. Like I technically signed yeah. with Vox under our LLC because 
technically I couldn't sign another contract with a competitor, uh, even though I had told everyone at the athletic that I wanted to keep doing the podcast and they approved it. It was more just like a contractual thing. Um, so yeah, so it's been, we've been, we've been getting paid by Vox for a good five years, I think at least, um, we're coming up on five years. Cause I guess it ends at the end of February, which is now officially February. So it's now officially the final month that we will be getting paid by Vox. Well, myself and the other contributors. Steph is already no longer getting paid by Vox, unfortunately. <laughs> no, my health insurance ended at midnight and I had to go to the pharmacy today and they were like, hey, so uh, you're not covered. I was like, oh, right. It is the first of the month. Oh, jeez. So everything's great. We're doing amazing. Um, What really I've been struggling with for the past couple of weeks is that Broad Street Hockey, it's such... An institution to have any type of Flyers coverage without Broad Street Hockey existing just doesn't it doesn't seem like a reality that I can live in so I'm just not going to live in that reality we're going to have some version of Broad Street Hockey whether it is still called Broad Street Hockey or not it's going to be the same group of people the same voices the same type of content we're going to exist in some form In the past two weeks, I've had a lot of conversations with a lot of people in the industry and then also, you know, tangentially related to the industry, like apparel companies, um, different types of hosting services. And what I've realized is we have, just at Broad Street Hockey, also SB Nation as a whole on the hockey side, but Broad Street Hockey, we have, like, there's this whole vernacular that we use. No one else understands it. No one else knows what we're talking about. All of the stories that make us laugh for hours, no one else gets it. I told the Jay Rosehill story. You know, (laughs) the Jay Rosehill story about how he was arrested for Grand Theft Auto because he was at one strip club, stole a car to go 0.4 miles down the street to the next strip club. To another strip club, as one does. As one does. And I was telling this story during, during a meeting saying that like just the map of where he went would be funny for a t-shirt design and no one got it no one thought that was funny (laughs) but it's hilarious but it's one of those things where you have to be part of it and i think that's the really cool thing about broad street hockey is that it's been around for so long i mean travis hughes started it i guess in 2008 2009 something like that so i mean it it easily preceded the 2010 cup run and then it lasted the entirety of the 2010s in in various different forms. I mean, it changed, you know, I, I think, you know, we changed with the times, but it's more that we changed because we just had different writers because we had people like, you know, there was a long period of time when the centerpiece was Eric Tolsky. And then Eric, of course, is now one of the best assistant general managers in hockey. Then there was a time where, honestly, I probably was the centerpiece in terms of writing you know, then when I moved to the athletic, I feel like then like the podcast kind of became the centerpiece of the site. And it just it's went through different incarnations. And, you know, when in the early 2010s, when the analytics movement was really getting off the ground, I feel like we were a very, very analytics heavy site. Then, you know, as I feel like analytics became more accepted, then it sort of became, OK, how do we use all these tools to actually explain to the general public what is going on and what they mean and that was kind of where we switched to me and Kurt I think did a lot of that work Kevin Chrisman did a lot of work as well in that regard we had a good a good core there um then I feel like especially over the last five six years I mean podcasts have become a driving force in terms of particularly in terms of flyers twitter I feel like there are just so many podcasts now and I think it's just Honestly, it's just one of those things where the the market changed. You know, people wanted to listen. Podcasts became more prevalent. And, you know, the great thing about where we stood is that, you know, we kind of came in on the, you know, on the early part of that. You know, we start, we, we came together as a group before, I guess, in 2016, which, I mean, coming up on seven years, we're six and a half years, I guess, right now, because it was, I guess we came together probably in like August or September of 2016, something like that. Yeah, that sounds right. Bill and I were just trying to figure out how long we had been recording together. And I think I think we came to 2013. So I think it's been 10 years. Yeah. 
that Bill and I have been recording together. I know for a fact that our version of the podcast started in 2016 because it was the beginning of the 2016-2017 season. That was the first season where we worked together. Um, and then that was one year, and then I took the athletic job in, in 2017. But uh, kind of getting back to what I was saying, like I think the really cool thing is that you know, Brotherhood Hockey has evolved. It's changed, and it's changed to not necessarily adapt, because I don't think we were doing it intentionally, but it's kind of changed you know, in keeping with what the you know, Flyers online world has become. And, uh, and I don't see that changing. I don't think that... That, that Broad Street Hockey or the people that make up Broad Street Hockey are going to stop being, you know, a core part of uh, of the Flyers ecosystem, for lack of a better term. Yeah, I, I don't I don't ever see that happening. I just because I cannot live with that. Like I need somewhere to put my opinions, even if no one listens or hears them. Um so Broad Street Hockey is staying around for my ego, is essentially <laughs> what I just said. <laughs> Um, but no, Charlie's right. It, the evolutions that have come with the site have kind of followed the evolution of the team and really the media landscape because the written word, and you could attest to this, the written word is at its lowest consumed point in human history, like right now, or like documented. <laughs> human history yeah there probably were other times there was the written word there was that period of time right (laughs) there was that whole period of time where we have no documented history but that's why you're seeing so many media companies really kind of go through it because they hadn't adapted on a multi-platform level whereas we have um and all that all of that to say we're not going anywhere. We've got some really cool, exciting content across all platforms that really, I think, hits every single type of fan. From the casual fans that like reading about, oh God, I did, uh, this was probably 2018, 2019. I did a whole article on July 31st about which flyers would play which Quidditch position. No, yeah, I remember that. Like, I spent all day just laying in bed on Harry Potter's birthday. I was like, this is the article that I'm going to write today. To the more serious analytical fans who really like to dig into Charlie's content, to the analytical breakdowns that Kurt does. Tom does a bunch of those. Like, we've got something for everyone, and we're not going anywhere. And... I think that that's super important to the community as a whole because we're one of the only places where you could actually be who you are, and that's totally fine. We're totally fine with whoever you are, unless you're a dick, then we don't want you. Yeah, there is that. There's that caveat. If you're a dick, we don't want you as part of of, of the community by any means. But it's funny you, you talk about like you know the goofy things. There's like the Quidditch thing. Um, years ago, there was Allison Jenkins who did a, a, a ton of uh, really funny articles. Um, I think back to, and this says, this is just like, it, it honestly kind of speaks to, as you said, like the struggles of creating media in this new climate. Because I don't know if you, well, you know what, I'm not going to say I don't know if you remember, because I know you remember. I actually don't even remember her name. But like, remember how like for years the biggest article on brushery hockey was the Michael Delzato thing with a stripper. I sure do. <laughs> oh, I remember. It was by far Michael Delzato and the stripper. By far the most viewed article on brushery hockey for like three straight years. Cause people just kept yes. going to it. And it's one of those things where like, it, it was kind of frustrating on my end because I'm like, I'm working so hard on all this content and spending hours upon hours upon hours. And all people really want to read about is Michael Delzato and a stripper. But I was a porn star, not a, a stripper, porn star. My bad, my bad. Porn star. That's what it was. Right. Because he apparently was like a total asshole to her. Right. And then she revealed yeah, that he was I a kept dick. wanting her to hook him up with her fellow porn stars. And she was like, no. Yeah. Not going to do that. No. But like that, that is part of the struggle is that, and I'm not saying that's like not a story because it clearly is. People wanted to read about it. But. It's very gossipy, but that is the kind of stuff that drives a ton of clicks. And that's, I think, something that you guys were kind of running into, especially at the end, when mm-hmm. Vox was very much pushing everyone into this, like, it's all about clicks, it's all about clicks, you know, drive clicks, more articles, more clicks. And, you know, 
yes, once in a while you can stumble upon a Michael Delzato porn star article that just blows up. But if you're trying to manufacture them, you're not going to create the kind of long-standing community that Broad Street Hockey became. It's not to say that Broad Street Hockey can't write an article about those things, even two articles about those things, but you're not going to you're not going to have any longevity if you try to build a website or a community based on those kind of gossipy type things. And yep. I think that's always something that like a company like Vox never truly understands, at least from a sports standpoint. No, no, they, they don't. Our highest viewed article right now is the top cheesesteaks in Philly. <laughs> and that's awesome because Poo's Jason Polinsky did an amazing job on that article. He got a cease and desist from, oh, who was it? Was it? Was it oh, I think it may have been Tony. I think it was Tony Luke who got real mad at Jay because yeah. he dared to criticize the almighty Tony Luke's cheesesteak. I think I could be wrong. If I'm if I'm wrong though, then I'm gonna get sued by Tony Luke. So then you're gonna get sued. Yeah. <laughs> I, for, like, for clarity, I think it was Tony Luke. Not confirming. I, that. Yeah, well, I'm. I can't remember either. So. I, the article actually may have like a caveat, like they've requested that we put this in our article. I don't remember. Um, but what's lost in all of this clicks, clicks, clicks is Pooh's has a brand new series where he's doing sandwiches from each state and having people who live there tell him if it's good or not. Like he's making them, which is not sports, but it's sports. And I think it's super fun. And they're on Broad Street Hockey and we're going away. Which it just sucks. It just sucks, but we're not actually going away. No, no. And How's I, that? I, How's that for real non-information? There you go. I mean, I would never think that Broad Street Hockey... The, the one thing that I'm really crossing my fingers hoping is that you guys don't lose the name. And yeah. the, the, th the thing is, is that we don't even really know. Like, this isn't even a case of, like, well, we need to make a decision... There's no decision that can be made because I don't think Vox knows what they want to do with these names yet either. Yeah, and that's the holdup. Uh, there's a lot. There's a lot of back and forth as to who actually owns the name. Uh, these sites have been around for so long that no one who was originally part of making these hockey sites an SB Nation property is still around. I've talked to Travis and. He was just hired. It wasn't a transition. He was just hired to do hockey. So we don't we don't know who actually owns the naming of the site. It's a it's a whole thing. Now, if we have to be Broad Street Banter and their blue shirt hockey, that's fine. <laughs> like we'll figure it out. Yeah. No. We just need to know. We need to know. Exactly. And that's that's what's. That's the issue here. We're waiting on information, and it's just not coming fast yeah. enough. Yeah, and one thing that I do want to say, and I think we've said this on recent shows, but I want to reiterate this because it really does mean a lot. The groundswell of support we've gotten for the GoFundMe has just been honestly mind-boggling. Like, yeah. on on some level, like, I think I knew how important Brush Rudaki was to people. I guess I didn't realize it was this important. <laughs> I did. That's the thing. I did. I, I knew that who we are as an entity is important to this community. I knew that. I didn't, like, I didn't expect people to donate money. I know how important we are, but I didn't, I, I was not expecting the amount of financial support that we've gotten, and I am just completely blown away. Yeah. I'm completely blown away. It's crazy. And I mean, one thing that does allow us to potentially do, and obviously this is, you know, maybe putting the cart before the horse a little bit, but, you know, if Vox were to tell us we will sell you the URL, we can use that money to buy the URL as long as they're not charging like an exorbitant amount of money. But if they're willing to sell it to us for a couple grand, we got that money now. And that's great. Exactly. And that's what the GoFundMe is for, to make sure that our writers are keep getting are going to continue to get paid through the end of the month. So Vox is paying them through the end of February. Those checks will come in March. Um, but that's like that's what the GoFundMe is for, to make sure that we still have somewhere to land once all of the dust settles, whether that is 
purchasing the URL from Vox, whether that is uh, creating broadstreethockey.com or there's there's something that can be done where we can all stay together and we just needed money for that and the community the community is has had our backs through everything for so long this is just the next the next phase it's amazing it's amazing it's just amazing yeah and, and i think you know one thing i was thinking a lot about um in the, the days after we found out that broad street hockey was getting you know its funding pulled and whatnot is just that and I, i'm not saying that this is you know that everyone falls into this bucket but i do think that i i think that broad street hockey in a lot of ways became a hockey community for people who didn't necessarily feel like you know they they didn't necessarily feel like hockey normally catered to them if that makes sense yep i mean i think that you know, we there were a lot of women. There are a, a, a not insignificant amount of non-binary people. You know, definitely the LGBTQ plus community. I feel like you know that that portion of the community. I think we always have tried to make it clear that if even if you don't feel welcome in other parts of Flyers Twitter and hockey, you know, hockey fandom in general, like you're always welcome here. And that's Always. something that I'm really, really proud of. I'm really proud to be a part of that. Um, I hope that we we live up to that all the time. And if we don't, you know, definitely let us know. But uh, but I mean, I just know just from our parties and just the people that I meet. And it's not like your average bro fest. You know what I mean? And and I'm, I know and, exactly what you mean. Yeah. I wouldn't stand for an average bro. Fest. Exactly. Exactly. And like, not even you know, not even that. Like, I just think there's you know, there's a lot of people who come out to our parties. And, you know, they may not be you know LGBTQ plus, but they may just be people who you know don't aren't necessarily super confident in social atmospheres or in, so, in social environments, and they feel like they can come out to a Broad Street hockey party and have a good time, have a safe time not feel like, you know, they're being overwhelmed by a bunch of people who, you know, maybe bullied them their entire life and things like that. You know what I mean? I think like sports should be a community. You know, I know it's, it's a cliche at this point. It's kind of half of a joke, but like hockey should be for everyone and it shouldn't just be a tagline. It should be a reality. And one thing that I'm really proud of, you know, about Brasserie Hockey and why I'm proud to still be affiliated with Brasserie Hockey is I think we really do our best to try and make that clear and to try to keep people out who don't believe in that sort of philosophy. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that you nailed it. And I think, you know, the 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 bigger piece, we've got a huge LGBTQ plus community as part of our community. Um, women, non-binary, and men, they all come because they're sick of the, the stereotypical pound your chest, I want to go to war, sports setting that's not us that's not who we are we'll we'll fight it out if you want us to <laughs> if you're polite if you're respectful we'll do that really we just want to hang out and not be bothered while we're watching hockey <laughs> exactly so now that we've started talking about hockey let's let's dig into these idiots we're just over halfway through we're you know, they're 20, 21, 21, and nine, which is honestly a little bit better than I expected for it's, them this It's season. hockey 500, sort of. I mean, it's it's actually 21 and 30. But in hockey terms, they have a 500 points percentage, so it's hockey 500. It's f- hockey 500. Did you expect this team to be 500 at the All-Star break? Um. They've maybe exceeded my expectations a little bit, especially given how much of a dumpster fire they looked like the first month and a half of the season. Like, I, I think, and I, I even hear this sometimes when I talk to players. I think Kevin Hayes said this a couple weeks ago. He's like, well, we started out good, then we struggled, and now we're playing better again. And I didn't want to, like, you know, correct him in the moment because you're interviewing a guy. But I kind of like, you really did it. Like, you didn't start, you started out good from a record standpoint, because Carter Hart was absolutely unbelievable. He was the only reason why you guys were winning games. You guys were getting... He was riding those Phillies vibes. Yeah, like, they were getting outshot, like, 45 to 20 every night. And after watching four weeks of that, I was like, oh, God. 
this team might be absolutely awful. They really might be in the midst of the accidental tank. And Carter Hart, when he, like, stopped— the, the point I think I made on the show was that it's not even that Carter Hart has to, like, regress and be bad. If Carter Hart just is decent, if he regresses to being fine, and the Flyers keep playing this poorly in front of him, they are going to lose 8 out of every 10 games because they are getting obliterated. And it started to creep into my head that, like, this team might be really, really, really bad. Instead, they've improved their underlying play, and now they're just, like, normal bad, which is, I guess, probably what about what I was expecting going into the year, then when they lost Couturier for probably the season, and then when they started out real, real bad from a play-driving standpoint at 5-on-5, I was like, who boy, this might be a bottom-three team. They, they, they kind of settled back into, I think, where I thought they were going to be in the beginning of the year, and I guess they deserve some credit for that because this is where I assumed they would be with Sean Couturier. The fact that they're here without Sean Couturier, yeah, they're doing a pretty good job given the talent they have on hand. Given the talent they have, which is very little. Yeah. Kevin Hayes yeah. is our all-star. Oh, Kevin. You know, he does his best. He's trucking along. Most of the time. I am excited for Kevin Hayes to go to the All-Star <laughs> game because I really think that I, I I don't know if it's going to be an NHL like plan thing, but I do think that, number one, I am happy for him. He's he said that like honestly he got to the point where he never thought he would ever be an all star. Happy for him. He's a good dude. He's gone through a lot this past you know year and change. So he deserves you know some. I mean this is a guy who had three surgeries, lost his brother, and now is pretty much in some type of cold war with his head coach. Like I don't like either either they hate each other or they like are tolerating each other. But like. This isn't, he's not having, like, the best run of years, and it's kind of nice that he's getting a little bit of a pat on the back here to go to the All-Star game, but I also think that the All-Star game, a lot of it is going to be centered around, at least his experience with it, it's going to be centered around Jimmy's kids, and just, you know, kind of, you know, hanging out and reminiscing about, about Jimmy Hayes, who obviously, you know, Kevin's brother, who passed away, and a lot of people in the hockey community really, really love the Hayes's. Um, the whole family, not just Kevin and Jimmy, but I mean, the whole, his, his parents are big in the Boston community. Like the, the, the Boston hockey community is much larger than I think a lot of people get, but it's freaking huge and massive. It's huge. And I think that's going to be a, a very important side focus of like, I would not be surprised at all. I believe Bo, Jimmy's son is going to be at the all-star festivities. I would not be surprised at all if like he's on the ice for like the skills competition is like that strikes oh, me yeah, like, like that sure. strikes me as stuff that they will do and i think that'll be really nice i think that'll be really cool for for the whole hayes family i for kevin i would love for him to get more individual attention um because i think he's earned it yeah i think he's earned it uh you know He's had his issues on the ice in the past couple of years, but I don't think you can deny that the man gives a shit. Like, he cares, and he will he'll play his ass off for the Flyers. Maybe not necessarily John Tortorella, but, but he <laughs> will. He will play his ass off, and I think it's really cool that he gets to be an all-star. I would have loved for Travis Konechny to be an all-star, but he still has some time. He's got some time. Yeah, and and one thing that I had forgotten, um, I had forgotten until I started digging back into this, and I think a lot of people forgot this, because when when it first got announced that Hayes was over Konechny, I was like, okay, that's kind of dumb. Like, Konechny's clearly been the more effective player on the Flyers, and it must suck that, like, Konechny's kind of getting stumped here. Konechny did make the All-Star team in that season right before the pandemic. He made it in 2019-2020. So he had made it before. It's not like this is his big year. And he got the, the season when Konechny had like 61 points in 66 games right before everything stopped because of the pandemic. Konechny was the Flyers all-star in that game. So he has been on an all-star what? team before. Yeah. Hold on. Yeah. You just completely blew my mind because I don't remember this. Yep. I, com- I absolutely believe you because now that you're saying it, I'm like, huh. Were those the neon green jerseys? Perhaps. The white with the neon green? I I don't know if I even watched that game, to be honest with you. But I think he might have even, like, scored a couple goals. Like, he did stuff in the game. Yeah. 
Yeah, he recorded. He received his first NHL All-Star Game invitation that season, where he recorded three assists in the Metropolitan Division's 9-5 loss to the Atlantic Division All-Star team. So, yes, he has been an All-Star before. So, you know what? He already got it once. If he already got it once. Yeah, if he's, oh, I'm totally over this. Now. Yeah. I can't believe that that slipped my mind completely. Wow. Maybe I shouldn't be working in hockey. Maybe <laughs> they were right all along. I mean, I had forgotten too, <laughs> honestly. But, like, I, I kind of give us a little bit of a pass here, given that it was pre-pandemic, and that feels like 10 years ago anyway. Yeah. But point being is that once I realized that, it was like, you know what? This is a really nice thing for Kevin Hayes. TK didn't need another one. If Konechny is going to stay a flyer for the next four or five years, I have a feeling he's going to get a lot more opportunities to be the Flyers only our all-star representative because I got news for you. I don't know who's going to beat him anytime soon. <laughs> so I- I'm I'm happy for Kevin Hayes. I'm happy that he's going to get this opportunity. Yeah. So let's, let's do a really quick way too early trade deadline prediction. Okay. Who do you think is, is going to stay? I I think most people are going to stay. I mean, the the two obvious, the one who's definitely getting traded is JVR. I'll be blown away if he's not traded. I think he's such a no-brainer. The Flyers aren't really in playoff contention. I know they're like they're like not that far out of a playoff spot, but come on, they're they're not making the playoffs. I think they're going to trade JVR, and and in part, even if they're in the mix, like you got Tyson Forrester banging on the door. You know, maybe Cutter Gauthier, after his college season is done, might sign and then play a little bit in the NHL if they decide to go that route. Like, they don't really need JVR, so I think they're going to move him regardless. I think if anybody wants Justin Braun, I think he'll go. <laughs> the question is, does anybody want him? Chuck will bring him back. It's fine. Yeah, if the Rangers want him again, I mean, hey, they're, they're welcome to have him. It's just he's not even playing, so I don't know if— you know, teams are going to look at it and be like, you can't even crack the Flyers' defense. Like, how can you help us? But who knows? I mean, somebody traded for Eric Gustafson that year, and, you know, that happened. So that's true. who the hell knows? Uh, beyond those two who are the obvious, I think then somebody brought up the possibility of Patrick Brown maybe getting moved if somebody wants, like, a cheap, potentially useful fourth liner because he's a pending UFA. I could see that. If somebody wants to toss the Flyers a sixth-round pick for Patrick Brown, sure. Why not? I don't think he's a major part of the future, but he's, I guess, useful enough. He can play center and, you know, not totally kill he's you. fine? Yeah, he's a guy. Inoffensive. Patrick Brown is inoffensive. Yeah. You can be on my team. You can be off my team. I'm fine either way. There you go. So there's those are the three big ones who I think, you know, if there's a market, and I can't imagine there won't be a market for at least JVR, I think they get moved. Then you talk about the bigger names. So, to me, the, the two big names that have a chance to be moved are Kevin Hayes and Ivan Provorov. Now, I I think that the Flyers would be willing to move Ivan Provorov. I don't know how the situation is now because I just don't know what his value is now. I think where the two sides are at, I honestly, I don't think the the Pride Night situation really changed much, but it's more in the sense that they all know that Provorov isn't really that happy. They know that he's probably not going to re-sign at the end of his contract, so let's try to get something for him before he leaves for nothing. However, that might be in the offseason, you know, if at the deadline— not everybody can be in the mix. Not everybody can trade for a guy with that big of a cap hit and whatnot. Whereas in the offseason, which is when if Perovarov gets moved, which honestly I would probably put money on that he will get moved as long as the Pride Night thing did completely kill his trade value around the league, I would think it's going to happen in the offseason. So I'm not expecting Ivan Perovarov to move to the deadline. However, I believe the Flyers are listening. And if a team decide it, you know, if a team really gets their hopes up, they're going to get Jacob Chikrin, then they don't get Jacob Chikrin. Maybe they panic and they decide we need a minutes-eating left-handed shooting defenseman. Maybe they swing back around on Proveroff and make a big offer and he goes. But I'm not expecting it. I'm thinking that's more of an offseason thing. Hayes is the interesting one. He's the interesting one because there probably aren't a lot of centers on the market. There are going to be teams like Colorado who are going to be looking for centers. And if the Flyers are willing to retain salary, which I don't know why they wouldn't be if they've decided that Kevin Hayes can't be part of a John Tortorella coach team over the long term, maybe Kevin Hayes is a guy who who could go at the deadline. I, I don't think I'd put money on it, 
But I think out of the big names, he's the most likely to potentially be moved. That's interesting. I think that he would look great in an Avalanche jersey. I've talked to to Peter Ball, who covers the abs, and he was actually the first person who brought the idea up to me. And this was before, really, any rumors surrounding the abs got started. I think it was maybe in, like, late December, early January. And he said, you know, the abs desperately need a second-line center. Obviously, they lost Nazem Kadri, you know, in the offseason via free agency. They've tried Alex Newhook there. He really hasn't been the type of second-line center you want for a team that has designs of winning the Cup. But the big thing for them is that they want a reasonably priced second-line center because obviously they have so many big-name guys. You know, they're going to eventually have to give Nathan McKinnon that big money raise that he's been due for years. Like, they are going to be crammed up against the cap because that's what happens when you have an insanely stacked team with a ton of talent. Now, if Kevin Hayes, who has three more years left on his deal after this one, if Kevin Hayes suddenly, because the Flyers are willing to retain salary, becomes a let's say a 4.75 million dollar a year player rather than a 7.14 million dollar a year player do the avs look at this and say hey we're willing to have kevin hayes as our second line third line center for less than 5 million a year for the next 3 years that's cost controlled he still clearly can score as he's shown this year and in a more up tempo system that isn't as defensive maybe it won't matter that he's not the greatest defensive center in the world yeah, I could see that potentially being a fit. And if they think they can make that work under the cap, suddenly they've got a much better second line and they can bulk up for, I know they're still battling for a playoff spot, but I think everybody thinks that if they just get healthy, they're probably going to make it. And then they're going to be the team no one wants to face in the playoffs. Yes, extremely that. All right. They're halfway through the season, more than halfway through the season. Thank God. Thank God. This season has been torture. Like, I, there was a big part of me that was like, oh, well, I got laid off. That means I don't have to watch the Flyers anymore, right? And then I remembered that, no, I actually, I do. I do have to watch the Flyers. So this week is a really nice break from that. What do you expect when they come back? What do you think they're going to do for the rest of the season? I mean, I'm kind of expecting something similar to what we saw the last few weeks where, I mean, you look at it like, what happened the week before they, um, you know, before the pause? Uh, and by pause, I mean this bi-week All-Star break thing. They lost to Winnipeg. They lost to LA and Minnesota in overtime. Then they beat Winnipeg. You know, that's about what I expect. You know, they'll they'll be the, <laughs> well, they'll be like the plucky team that plays teams hard and, you know, doesn't get blown out that often. But when they play against better teams, which are, all three of those teams they played last week are better than they are. They're going to lose more often than they're going to win, but they are going to pick up some wins. And when they play against real bad teams, which they will scatter throughout the rest of the schedule, they'll probably win most of those games because they're very clearly better than the real bad teams. Like, they don't lose often to the bad teams. Like, when they play Montreal at the end of the month, I expect them to win. When they play Vancouver, I mean, I think they'll win, but they could lose that. But, like, it's just... I think where the Flyers stand right now is that John Torrell is too good of a coach for them to be real bad, but he's not good enough of a coach because who would be to actually allow them to consistently beat the teams that are significantly more talented than they are. Like Kevin Hayes, when we talked, we had a really good interview with him right before the pause, and it's the first time I've ever heard a player, like I'm sure players talk like this when and I've, I've I've talked to players off the record and they admitted this that you know oh we're against Toronto like yeah they're just better than us but I've never heard a player on the record like Kevin Hayes did basically say you know we're not getting outplayed anymore sometimes we're outmatched but we don't get outplayed so he's basically saying like hey we're not getting outworked we're gonna try real hard sometimes we play teams that are just a lot better than us and there's not a lot we can do and like he's right but it's just like you never really hear players admit that. And the fact that yep. he did tells me that like everybody on that team knows that there's only so much they can do when they face a Boston or a Toronto or a Colorado, you know, or a Carolina. Like there's just so, only so much they can do to hang because those teams are just flat out better than they are. And all they can really do is keep it close. 
Right. And and that makes me concerned for the state of the locker room. But if they're just phrasing that as we've lost half of our guys, like we don't have anyone like that's fine. Yeah, I don't I'm not really. I think it's that. just they're, they're realistic. They have even though they're hockey players and obviously they believe they can win every night because they have to. You're a hockey player and they believe they're great because you have to, to be a professional hockey player like they can look on the other side. I, I've always said this, like hockey players might not be brilliant but they're not stupid when it comes to hockey. Like, they know the game, at least to the point where, like, they can look at Connor McDavid and be like, he's better than me. A lot better than me. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, they're yeah. they're not delusional. Right. Yeah. There's just this whole thing. Kelly mentions it a lot. But they don't ever really think that their team is bad because they play on their team. True. True. But I think they they know on some level that, like, they're a team with a ton of young guys who are trying to figure out their way through the league. You know, their best player is Travis Konechny. And, like, I love Travis Konechny. He's a fun player to watch. Like, on Tampa Bay, what is he, like, their seventh best player? At, at best. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, come at on. At best. And I, I love Travis Konechny, too. Yeah. If they have 40 wins, if they have 35 wins this season, I think I will be shocked. I'll be surprised. If they have 40, I'll be shocked. Well, well, so right now they're at 21 wins. That's 21 wins in 51 games. So what is that? Let me do some quick math and see, figure out what that averages out to over an 81 game or an 82 game slate. That would be 37 point, 33.7. So right now they are pacing for about 33, 34 wins. So, the target we're looking for here is 35, break 35. I said 35, I'd be surprised, not shocked. So here's my other question. This is this is a question for you, Steph. So we went into the season being like the best case scenario for the Flyers probably is to be real, real, real bad, get one of the top three or four players in the draft. Have we just kind of given up on that? Or do you think there's still the possibility that this could all come apart and they have like another 10-game losing streak and then take a real run at truly tanking? I absolutely think that this team could fall apart. I think that the wheels could fall off at any given moment um, due to injury. I don't think that it will be because Torts has lost the locker room or because they've just stopped playing for him. I think that if... There's a significant injury. The wheels fall off immediately. And I don't even think that it needs to be that significant. Like, I'm not saying Carter Hart. I'm saying, like, one of the defensemen. Pick one. Travis Sanheim. Like, pick one. It could be anyone. I mean, this honestly, with, with, with the way Cam York's playing, if they lose Cam York, they're in trouble. They're in trouble. Like, one guy. Because this team isn't strong enough. And this team isn't deep enough to be able to continue filling in the spots with more bodies. They're just not. The wheels could fall off at any time. And honestly, I hope that they do because what they're doing right now is not, like, it's just not sustainable for the health of the franchise long term. It's just, it just not. Like, you need to get a top pick in this draft. I don't give a shit if you're competitive. I don't give a shit if you're almost in the playoffs, you need to get a top pick in this draft for the long-term success and health of the franchise. Yeah, I mean, where I'm at is that, look, the easiest path would be if they got a top pick in this draft. You know, you get... Let me put it this way. If the Flyers end up with, like, the 7th or 8th pick, and if Mitchkoff slips just because of the Russian factor, the Flyers need to pick him. Because, like... Yeah, it might take them three years to get over here, but how desperately do you need high-end talent? Even if it's going to take some time, get the friggin' guy who could be a star if he slips to you. Because they des they, they need a Bedard, they need a Mitchkoff, they need a Leo Carlson, they need an Adam Pantelli, they need one of those guys. If you can't get one of those guys, like, they so desperately need to nail this pick. Like, if they have the ninth overall pick, look, there have been certainly times, we know it as well as anybody, where... You, the talk before the draft is, it's a two-player draft. It's he, Shear, and Patrick. And then the three guys that come after them end up being the stars. Well, hmm. the Flyers need to be the avalanche in this draft. They need to be 
the the Dallas Stars. They need to get the guy eighth overall who you look back and you say, man, he ends he ended up being better than Adam Fantilli. Like I don't think anybody's gonna be better than Connor Bedard, but like you know, Adam Fantilli's a nice player, but like man, that guy who went ninth, if we could do a redraft, he would have went third. That's this is such a huge huge draft because. This, the thing with this draft is that while you have those top three or four are super studs, the guys who were between, like, four and ten, like, they're all guys who in a normal draft would go top five. Yep. So you need to make the right pick of those guys. And if it means taking a little bit of a risk, if it means taking a bigger swing, you so desperately need high-end talent. Like, if you're not going to pick in the top three or four, you just you have to nail this pick. You have to get one of those guys. You have to get a top pair defenseman. You have to get a top line forward. You can't you can't come away with this and you're just like, well, we we got a nice NHL player. No, you need a stud. And if you if you purposely put yourself in this position where you're not tanking, well, and you better make up for it by having a fantastic draft and getting that guy a little bit later than where everybody wishes you were picking anyway. Which brings us back full circle to Chuck Fletcher and how incompetent he has been. Oh, Chuck. Is he still is he gonna be in charge of the draft? Is he still gonna be around? Is he going to bring the Flyers into the future? Because that's scary. So it's a fascinating the Chuck question is fascinating to me. Now, I know most people, particularly most people that listen to this podcast, wanted Chuck gone before the deadline. I think that ship has sailed. I think Chuck Fletcher is going to manage the the trade deadline at the very least. Um, I think basically where and I, I've said this on Twitter, I think I've said this on the show a few times is that I think ownership in early December was the closest they've ever been to considering firing Chuck Fletcher. And because I have been under the impression all year that basically like, well, if they weren't going to fire him in the off season, they're going to give him this season and they're going to reevaluate at the end of the year. Then I started, then I started hearing basically like, well, things are real bad and we're moving closer to maybe making an NCAA season move. I was like, Oh shit, they might can a mid mid year. This might happen. Then the team started playing better. And I don't think ownership ever really wanted to fire him midseason. And this just gave them the, like, the, oh, yeah, we don't have to do this yet. Now, when I say yet, I don't mean that Chuck Fletcher is necessarily going to be the general manager forever. I think he absolutely is going to be reevaluated at the end of the season. And one thing that you, that should not be ignored, and I know people are going to be like, well— there's already enough there with how bad the team is, and I get that. Yes, team isn't very good. The future doesn't look that great because they're kind of in this half-in, half-out, rebuild, retool, what is it called, who cares kind of thing. But clearly, the ownership is not frustrated enough with the current state of the team to fire him now. So that's that's where they're at. What I cannot imagine helped Chuck Fletcher's case was the Pride Night thing. Not necessarily yep. because, like, you know, they are angry that Proveroff and whatever. It it comes down to what I talked about in my second article on the thing, which was the complete lack of communication between the hockey operations side, which is managed by Chuck Fletcher, and then the business operations and ownership side, which ownership is obviously overseen by Dave Scott. Business operations is not necessarily overseen by Dave Scott, but let me put it this way. He's a lot closer to he's a lot closer to the business operations. Like he obviously talks on a regular basis with Valor. I do not think he has nearly that tight of a relationship with Chuck Fletcher. He kind of lets hockey ops do whatever hockey ops does. Well, what happened in this case was essentially that hockey ops found out nearly a week before that Ivan Provorov was strongly considering not wearing the Pride jersey. They found out the night before the game that Ivan Provorov almost certainly was not wearing the Pride jersey. And then, the next morning, not only did, and this seems like pretty pertinent information, like, to tell your ownership that, like, by the way, we're wearing Pride jerseys and one player is not going to participate in war. It would seem like something you might want to give the ownership a heads up for. But it goes even beyond that. They had not officially told ownership or business operations that they were wearing pride jerseys at all. They had told them they were considering it, that it was they, this team was discussing it. They did not tell them officially that they were doing it until the morning of, which means that they found out, hockey operations found out, Monday night, that Proveroff would not be wearing the jerseys. They then said, okay, 
we're going to do it anyway. We're going to then tell ownership and business operations that we're wearing the jerseys, and we're going to conveniently leave out the fact that one of our players, one of our highest profile players, is not actually going to wear the jersey. Like, regardless of where, what side you come down on, whether you think Ivan Provorov is homophobic, whether you think Ivan Provorov should be able to do whatever the hell he wants, this is not even an argument of that. This is an argument of sheer incompetence on the part of the hockey operations department because, of course, hockey operations should have given everyone else in the organization the heads up that, like, hey, by the way, this could become a public relations disaster, so maybe you should know about it. I don't know if, if business operations or if ownership would have changed how they did it, but at the very least, they should have been included in the discussion, and hockey ops just kind of decided unilaterally, nah, they don't need to know. And to me, if I'm Dave Scott, clearly the, the struggles of the hockey team haven't been enough to convince me that there needs to be a change in hockey operations. That situation tells me, okay, not only can you not build a good hockey team, you also don't run a tight ship. And you also are leaving us out of the loop on things that, like, by the way, our business operations, we literally pay them to deal with these types of situations, and you guys just thought, nah, we're good, we got this, which they clearly didn't, because then for a week after, it was one of the biggest stories in sports. So to me, this whole Pride Night thing, it doesn't help Chuck Fletcher's job security, because why would it? Like, ownership just kind of got thrown under the bus here. Yeah, no, they made the hockey ops side of the Flyers just completely embarrassed the entire organization by keeping this amongst themselves, which has been an issue for the Flyers in the past where the hockey side just wouldn't tell anybody what was going on. Like, this isn't brand new. This isn't new to the Flyers. This isn't new to the organization. This isn't new to the sport. Like, this is what hockey does. They will circle the wagons and they will keep their mouths shut. The problem is Chuck Fletcher is supposed to be in charge and he paid the organization the disrespect of keeping this quiet. And he made everyone look like an asshole. He made everyone look like an asshole. Yeah. And that's the story. Yeah. That's all people are talking about. And that should, that should come down on Chuck Fletcher. If he knew and he let this happen and just didn't say anything, that should, that should fall and rest on Chuck Fletcher. Now the whole the whole situation, the whole thing has spun way out of control. The narrative has spun way out of control. The Rangers did what the Flyers probably would have done had they have known that Provorov was not going to wear the jersey during warm-ups or even not participate during warm-ups, which was nobody wore the Pride jerseys. And that's a whole other issue. But the fact is no matter what Ivan Provorov did, no matter what John Tortorella said, and I don't agree, and I think that you know, the listener, and also Charlie, who I'm talking to, know that I don't agree with any of it. Um, regardless of those things, if you're just looking at it objectively as to what happened, Chuck Fletcher dropped the ball. He dropped the ball, and it shattered, and the, the shards of glass flew into everyone's eyeballs. Yeah, yeah, that's that's absolutely true. And to be clear, I... This is part of the issue here. I don't think that Chuck Fletcher and everyone that was involved and everyone that knew what was going on, I don't think they were coming at it from a place of maliciousness. I think they they legitimately looked at the situation, and they they this is the way they evaluated it. They evaluated it as, okay, Ivan Provorov doesn't want to do this, but we have a lot of players on the team that do want to do this. So... In our minds, the best compromise, the best solution is to let everyone who wants to do it do it and let Ivan be, you know, like faithful to his religious beliefs and whatever he wanted to do. And the thing is, is that I can understand why they would think that that was the right move. I can understand why in their hockey bubble of pretty much all white dudes would think that that is like the, the right way to go. The problem is, is that if they would have looped in ownership and business operations, somebody there would have been like, no, that's not going to work because it's going to be a whole friggin' thing because literally it was a whole friggin' thing last year when the Tampa Bay Rays players did the exact same thing and someone would have raised the red flag 
and been like, no, we need to come up with a better strategy because your strategy is bound to create a media firestorm that we don't feel like dealing with. The problem is, is that they never told anybody because they thought this was the right thing to do. And again, as I say, I don't think this was malicious. I don't think they were, I actually think they thought this was the best way they could show support for the LGBTQ plus community. I, I agree. I do think that they thought the best way was just to leave Ivan in the locker yeah. room and, and call it a day. Yeah. And the thing is, is like, maybe that is what ownership and business operations would have agreed with, but they weren't even given the chance to agree. They just had to deal with the whirlwind that hockey ops created by not including them in the decision-making process. And that's that's something where, if I'm Dave Scott, like I have to take that into account when I am deciding what to do with my hockey operations. It can't just it doesn't have to just be about hockey. It can be about can I trust these people not to fuck things up? And the answer to that is very clearly no. Like, no, Chuck Fletcher cannot be trusted to not fuck things up, which brings me back. To the Micah tweet, if someone could just pay me a lot of money to tell general managers no, I'd love that. <laughs> they need to be told no. They just need to be told no. Don't do that thing. Just don't do it. No. Chuck, Charlie, I told you that this would be 30 to 45 minutes, and we are nearly at an hour. Of course we are, because we love to talk. We do. And... The fans don't get to listen to us interact as much as they hear, you know, me and Bill. You and Kelly did a show. We did. Bill and Kelly did a show. Like a half show. Um, a half show. Kelly and I talk a lot. But our two voices are not regularly heard separate from everyone else. And I think that's cool. Yeah. No, this is a... I think it's cool that we did this. Yeah. I don't think it's cool that they don't know that we're actually, like, friends. Yeah, like, we, we have lots of conversations. Just the two of us. It's just not over yeah. this stuff. <laughs> right. Just not about hockey. <laughs> exactly. No, I think this was good. Um, and next week, uh, most likely, we'll have the whole crew back. Hopefully, Bill is over his uh, his cold or throat thing. I don't know. He's Yeah, I think it's cold. I Will you remind me before I leave to go back to Philly to bring my microphone? Because <laughs> I might forget. Oh, yeah, because Steph is returning to the Philly area because there just might be another game on the horizon in another sport. There's like something happening and I'm not really sure what it is, but I'm being told that it's important to be near Broad Street. Yeah, just maybe. You might want to be around that vicinity next, not this upcoming Sunday, but the next Sunday, just in case there might be a spontaneous burst of celebration involving the entire city. Yes. <laughs> we are obviously referring to the birds in the Super Bowl part two. I know that it's not actually part two. It's part like seven in my Eagles fandom, but they're, they're good. I really think they're going to do the thing, man. I think they're going to do it again. I really do. We'll see. I mean, they look damn good. And obviously like, I mean, it's just this playoff run. Like no one can seemingly touch them. Like they're just rolling teams. I don't know. The, the Chiefs are real good. It's going to be fun. I'm very much looking forward to watching the Super Bowl with all my friends, Stephanie Driver included, and Ed included as well. I will well. be at your house. I will be there. <laughs> you will be there. Um, but yeah, I think uh, that's pretty much everything we uh, we wanted to run through. But yeah, we'll, we'll be back in some form or another next week. It is still February, so people are still getting paid. So there is that. Um, we don't need to make any final decisions on what we're going to be doing until after February. So Broad Street Hockey Radio will be here next week in some form or another. There will be games again next week, so there's that too. So we'll have actual mm -hmm. hockey to talk about. But we'll be back in some form or another. We'll, we'll have a show for you. What that show is, I don't know. We'll have something for you. We'll see. Yeah, yeah, definitely stay tuned. We'll tell you about our plans here and on the website and on social media. Just, you know, don't forget about us as we're figuring out the next steps. We'll still be here and we'll tell you guys where we're going and what we're doing. And that is all the time that we have on Broad Street Hockey Radio this evening. Thanks for hanging out. Thanks for joining us. I forget all of the other words that Bill uses <laughs> for me, Steph Driver, and Charlie O'Connor. I don't remember what Bill says. Have a great night, everybody. Are you ready to talk about sports? Yeah!